Welcome to the CMS Real Deal podcast. I'm your host, Danny Drummond Brassington. Join me as we take a step back from the legal nitty gritty and look at issues affecting the property industry. Today, I'm joined by Chi Oranifo, Senior Associate in the CMS Real Estate Finance Team, and Joycene Peake, Head of EMA at Greaves. They're here today to talk about ESG, so that's Environment, Social and Governance, and its role in the real estate industry. Welcome both. Thank you. So really where we are is the realities of climate change and inequality are becoming clear and there's no question that these are fundamental concerns to the real estate industry. We have a political agenda driving zero carbon targets, regulations on the horizon providing preferential treatment for green economic activities and financial institutions are growing increasingly concerned about climate risk. So it's really no surprise that the real estate industry is looking at what it can do and that developers, investors and occupiers of buildings are taking action. There is evidence to show that a real estate strategy incorporating sustainability not only improves property and asset value but also enhances the occupier experience. With the real estate sector now on the cusp of a directional change, we thought that it would be really useful to explore this topic on the Real Deal podcast. So thanks for joining us today to talk about it. Chi, before we get stuck in, um, I think most people understand what the E is in ESG and environment. So perhaps you could just start by explaining a bit more about what we mean by social and governance? Sure, absolutely. And Josephine, feel free to, to step in as well. But from a legal perspective, the way that I like to look at it is a, as an ecosystem of laws. Um, some real hard law, but also some voluntary codes that have been uh, created over the last decade. Um, So in terms of real hard law on the social and governance side, you're talking about things like the Bribery Act, you're talking about things like the initiative for um, equal pay between um, uh, genders. Uh, We're also talking about things like health and well-being which isn't actually necessarily prescribed by any law but people are much more aware of these days Um, so it's a mixture of um, both hard law and um, voluntary um, codes that people are necessarily signing up to because they see the importance of it either as an organization or because their investors want it Um, and I see it very much as a a response to a post-financial crisis world where people are thinking there's got to be more to life than just the dollar or the pound Um, and actually we need to be careful about the disparities in society that we're creating um, because that's actually going to create risks that will impact on investments. Yes, of course. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's, it's quite a broad, broad picture. And why do you, and this is a question to both of you, why do you think 2019 has seen this sort of ESG really hit the headlines and really get some momentum behind it. It feels like we're really on the cusp of a turning point. Yeah, that's how trends go. Huh? They, yeah. they build up quite small. It takes a lot of... Aggressive was started 10 years ago by only three investors. Yeah. Now we have more than 100 large institutional investors backing us and demanding a good transparency on these assets that they have in their portfolio. They are the owners of long-term assets and they can see the the problems, I mean, especially with climate change because that is such a a clear narrative. We we know that we have 
roughly eight years to turn our, our economy around before the amount of capital destruction that's going to hit us is going to get completely out of hand. Mm -hmm. And the social consequences of that yeah. are, you know, people are, it almost doesn't really bear, bear thinking about. So a little bit, I can actually understand people who deny this reality because it is quite painful when you start yeah. focusing on it. Mm -hmm. the, the good thing is that, that people are waking up and that there, is, there are so many tailwinds that we need to, uh, to look at. So there's the tailwind. First of all, there, there's the investors saying this is very, very important. We do not want to be left holding stranded assets yeah. or flooded assets for that, yeah. for that matter. Uh, then there is um, the whole technology. Um, driving this, so techno data technology and, and uh, data flowing through from buildings straight through into yeah. databases. So that's a real tailwind. And of course, demographics is a massive tailwind. So the new generation is, is, is already getting quite angry with the old generation for saying, guys, what, what have you done to our future? Yes. So we're, we're seeing some very big um, trends coming together in, in this one item of sus uh, creating a sustainable world. It's a massive challenge, it's yep. a massive opportunity. Yep. Because if we get this right, we actually have all the things in place to make it a good world for everybody. Yeah. So what do you think it means if we sort of take it back into sort of the real estate world? What does it mean to take ESG seriously? That's a question to either of you. It's mm, a very interesting question. I think. Historically, real estate professionals have worked within very established structures and structures that require sort of a look back, as it were, yeah. as to what has worked, what hasn't worked, and then uh, you know, forecasting um, into the future. That, that needs to change in this particular um, aspect because a lot of these things haven't been done before. So, you know, property developers and property managers and investors haven't really had to think about, oh, what could the regulations actually be in 20 years' time yeah. mm. in the much longer horizons? And is this building that I'm building going to withstand that? And in fact, you know, we've got to think about a few cycles, few level, um, uh, turns of sales, etc., yeah. um, because the world could be really incredibly different um, during that life cycle. Um, and then also on the social side, this is, has not been done before. It's not been something that property developers have had to think about yeah. at all. So it's completely blue sky thinking, and that's not necessarily yeah. what the professional the profession is is used to doing. Um, but no one's going to show them how to do it. A few people have got to do it and see whether it works. And so a bit of trial and error. And, and some people, it's going to go wrong. Some people are going to get For things wrong. People. But you're never going to improve unless you do try these things. And I, what we're seeing is that even on the funder side, the banks that decide to take it seriously um, and maybe put their necks out a little bit are the ones that create the market and create yeah. the reference points and therefore they're not being driven by other people's values uh, yeah. as well. So, you know, there's a choice to be made there. Yeah, and I think people are starting to say that this, you know, getting a strategy right, an ESG strategy right, could have a positive influence on the actual value of the underlying asset. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to be a very interesting area that is going to develop. And how do you value or put a value on ESG policies and agendas on, on assets? Because you know, traditional modelling, RICS, Red Book, doesn't have a have a criteria. So, I mean, Joyce, it's probably a question for you. How do you, how do you start to capture 
um, data or even start to benchmark so that you create a valuation basis mm. for you, people can look at it and go actually yes that whether it's a you know we don't necessarily want tick box exercises but you know we've got to start somewhere and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not really going to answer that question because it's it's truly not what we're focused on. We're yeah. focused on building, on behalf of these large institutional investors, building good data, comparable yeah. data, data that can be aggregated on the portfolios that they're holding. And this is the non-financial data, as it's yeah. called, sustainability data, as it had, non-financial yeah. data. So, of course, on the other hand, you have the valuations, you have the financial yeah. data, but we're not in the game of um, trying to combine the two. We're just making sure that this that there is good data yeah. on the sustainability side. Yeah. And to, to pick back on the question you have, uh, earlier asked, what are new topics or what are things, how, how to do this massive transition? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing to do is to get together as an industry. Yeah. So uh, GRESB has more than four, four and a half to 4.6 trillion of assets now in one place, uploaded, yeah. data on it. That clearly, that, that is a base for, and, and you know, we're growing super fast because people yeah. want to join this. Um, so that is a base for the conversation to be had. Yeah. Uh, and new topics like health and well-being, yeah. uh, resilience, very, uh, very topical for large institutional investors. How, how, how will my portfolio, uh, they look at their portfolio along the lines of TCFD, yeah? so that they say, well, on the one hand, my portfolio has got m- massive physical risk if we go into climate change, mm-hmm. Or it has massive transition risk if we actually do the right thing. Yeah. So there, there is no business as usual, uh, effectively, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. currently for these large institutional investors looking ten years a- mm-hmm. ahead. There is no let's do let's do it in the good old way because that path that path is being obli- obli- um, um, gro- going away mm-hmm. very fast. Mm-hmm. So it's it's either or. And uh, yeah, the whole TCFD, the Task Force for non uh, for Climate Related Financial Disclosure, is really galvanizing that uh, that, that scenario thinking. So what you're talking about is is having sort of some me- measurements of things, and others will then take those measurements and at some point create a value around that. I'm sure because everybody's looking for something to measure. I, I think the. Um Investors will use Gresby and the data yeah. that it produces in different ways, but certainly what it does is enable people to compare in a way yeah. that they weren't able to, to do before. before. Um, but on a sort of more simplistic basis, there is and has been a conversation around whether there is such a thing as a green premium for yeah. these high rate, highly rated buildings. Um, and from what I have heard in the market, and that's talking not just to estate agents and people at RICS, um, but but throughout and academics, what they're see, saying is that in certain cases there is a green premium. However, it's not as pronounced as um, one might like. Yeah. <laughs> and so not necessarily the reason of itself to, to go for the highest standards. However, there is a discount for non-performing assets. Right. Because when people come to buy those assets, they know that within the next, well, within their investment frame, time frame, they're going to have to fix those assets and bring them yeah. up to scratch. Yeah. So that's the kind of risk that you're looking at, more of a downside risk. As opposed to an upside valuation. I think so. Interesting. And you, you, it makes perfect sense. Um, makes perfect sense. Um, so, Josine, back to you. Um, what do you? What would be your message to the property industry, and and why they should be using um, yourselves and and and? Yeah, they can to... use us. They can use us in different ways. Right? So, 
Um, first of all, I think transparency is the first step towards uh, impact or towards, yeah. towards improvements. Um, so knowing which, which variables are important to investors yeah. can be very helpful. And Gresb is a mission-driven organization, so we put our full intellectual property online. So every single question, the reasons why we ask it, what we're looking for, how you score that, that is all online. And yeah. I would highly recommend people to, to take a look at that yeah. as they are thinking about their sustainability uh, strategy. Because, you know, then you, at least you know where to aim for. Yeah. Um, so that transparency is very much something that we, uh, that we, we give back to the industry so that they can, they can work with that. Um, yeah, I, that's. A, was there another question? No, not at all. No, just you know, fascinating mm. to understand. Um, you know what's out there. It's as we talked about it. You know, becoming twenty nineteen really is. It's taken the the agenda by storm in a way, yes. and everybody's talking about yes. it. You know, looking forward, um, you know, we talk about environment, social governance, and you we, you started talking about she at the beginning to, talking about you know it's voluntary things that people are doing and and creating. Do you see that there is a role for government intervention, whether that's just on a you know, UK basis, a European basis, or even wider, to intervene or help improve sustainability? Do you, do you, do you think it should be left to the market to sort of come up, or do you think we're going to need government intervention? I think the market is doing probably about as much as you can reasonably expect it to do. Yeah. Um, you know, some people are being more prudent than others, perhaps, or taking a more uh, risk-driven um, approach. Um, but ultimately, these targets, so for example, the Paris Climate Change Agreement, yeah. um, Paris Agreement on Climate Change, rather, um, from 2015, sets a goal for 2050. And in order to hit those goals for 2050, we need to be in a certain position for 2030. That is only 10 years away. Yeah. We need to start acting now. So in a, in a way, the regulation is actually already there, but what it hasn't trickled down into the sector specifics as yet. And I think, you know, we've got a bit of a someone described it as a Brexit fog at the moment, and that <laughs> will that will continue once we're we're done. Yeah. But at some point you know, People have to take this seriously. The civil servants are going yeah. to, and the ministers are going to wake up, and they're going to realise, gosh, we've got to do something really quickly. And, yeah. and an example of that that I like to give is you, Les. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 10, yeah. 15 years ago, we were encouraged to get diesel cars. Yeah. Now they've just implemented a law that mm -hmm. swipes that away completely. Yeah. And it's a bit unfair, and I say that because I have a diesel car. But yeah. it's happened, yeah. and it will happen elsewhere. It will happen for commercial, and it will happen for resi. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there, um, particularly at institutions like the Green Finance Institute, that are trying to find ways and mechanisms to finance that change, because it's going to have to happen very quickly. Yeah. There's also a technology gap, I think, because we have a lot of old buildings here that don't necessarily lend themselves very easily to retrofit. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done, and it's going to have to be done very quickly. So, and if it has to be done quickly, you're mm. going to need to have regulation and it, regu only regulation is going to get you there, and yeah. you know some sort of, some sort of maybe carrot and some sort of stick as well. And the fact that we've left it so long mm. actually yes. increases the chances that the policies will be fast and furious and yeah. quite disruptive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. if we if we, if we were thirty years ago, we we could actually see a very calm path of of uh, you know virtuous regulation mm -hmm. and then slowly adapting right. the fact that we've left it till the last five years 
yeah. uh, for for us to to make this change yeah. is uh, yeah is it does not bode well for no. the uh, for the yeah the the well how quickly these laws can can happen and how disruptive they might be yeah um, and doesn't leave much time for people to get their heads around what they need to do does mm. it um, no we've we've lost that time it's it's yeah. uh, it's uh, mm. there is a, yeah that's that's unfortunate yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree with mm. you. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so really, I wanted to sum up um, by asking each of you that if you could do one thing, um, or make one rule, or do whatever you wanted to do that would help the ESG agenda and and, and drive it forward at a faster pace, what would it be? Um, I know that's a big question. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm still a great believer of decarbonisation of the grid. Yeah, because then you then that that and that the UK actually is doing a lot there. Yeah, um, that that does uh, limit the amount of greenhouse gases that are coming into the um, if, through the residential uh, and, and through the uh, sorry through the real estate market. At the same time, the real estate market improving further the whole um, carbon emissions and the electricity uh, used uh, also needs to happen. So I think uh, I would put my 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 law in that area. In that area. Mm. Mm. And she? I think I would be a little bit more abstract, unfortunately, <laughs> um, because it really takes me back to um, my studies during my master's and the course that we did called um, International Trade, Labour and Environment. Yeah. And that was where I learned the concept of externalisation. And uh, you'll hear, actually, over the last two years or so, some of our ministers beginning to talk about, and the FT also has a... Um, a, a bit of a drive on now about how we reformulate our economic system yeah. and whether the GDP this, a lawyer shouldn't be saying this at all no, but anyway, but, but, this is where the way angle I come at it from um, how the, the, the economic model that we use at the moment doesn't take into account all of the damage that we've done and that it obviously is very easy to point at and maybe not quantify in terms of environment but it's also social and it's also yeah. governance so the ESG piece I think is around it's trying to find a way to embed this into that economic model yeah um, so I think I would want to see more buy-in to the yeah. new economic model and more you know, policies that reflect that. I think mm. you know, economists have got quite a lot of work to do. As a, as a macroeconomist, I could not agree oh, more. <laughs> convincing. Absolutely. Good. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much both for joining us here today on the Real Deal podcast. Um, to all of our listeners out there, I hope you found that interesting, and um, you know, feel free to sign up and share the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CMS Real Deal podcast. If you would like any further information, head to our website, cms.law. And don't forget to subscribe via your usual podcast store.